Many and most of us here tonight have had the privilege of being raised in the Christian church. In all likelihood, a church with a reformed expression of the faith. A faith that I trust is precious to you. It certainly has been precious to me because that has been my experience. And there are many teachings within the reformed expression of the Christian faith that have become so very, very dear to us. And one of them, one of them is this teaching or doctrine we call the perseverance of the saints, or maybe better put, the preservation of the saints, because it's really not so much that we persevere as God preserves his children. That's a doctrine that gives rich comfort to God's saints, and it's one that is so very, very scriptural. Romans 8, I direct you there, under the theme tonight, five undeniable affirmations. Five undeniable affirmations. Romans chapter 8, I begin with verse 28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God knew, for those God, for those God knew, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised from to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Thus far tonight, the reading from God's word. I want to begin tonight, dear friends, by saying early in my ministry at Friendship, which began now some 35 years ago, Early on, there was a crusade, an evangelism crusade at Old Kent Park. Now it's called Fifth Third Park. Maybe some of you remember that. Louis Palau was the evangelist there. And there were a number of people from our church who served as ushers there. Some sang in the choir. Uh, I myself was a counselor at that particular crusade. And um, many, many people heard the gospel, committed their lives to Jesus. Some years before that, when I was in Denver in the middle 80s, was part of a crusade there led by none other than Billy Graham, Mile High Stadium. Much, much larger crowds. But again, for several nights, large numbers of people came. The gospel was presented. The invitation extended, and people came forward to commit their lives to Jesus. And people asked me then, and they've asked me since then, do you think, Pastor Cal, that those commitments were all real? that they stuck, that they were genuine? My response was, I suspect many were. I suspect some were not. 
It's not unlike the question, the couples that I have married throughout my years of ministry, about 180 now, they made vows to each other that they would stay married until death would separate them. Were all those vows honored by many, many yes? Sadly, for some of them, no. Or the children that I've had the privilege of baptizing, so many, 565 over the course of my ministry, presented by Christian parents, God made a promise to them. Those covenant children, will each and every one of them be saved? Will each and every one of them be in heaven one day? Many, many will. I suspect some of them, sadly, will not. Because baptism, baptism in and of itself, does not save a person. This brings us to Romans chapter 8 tonight. Each and every sinner, and that includes everyone hearing my voice, every person alive, each and every sinner must be born again. Born again! To be a part of God's kingdom and God's family. That's God's clear teaching in John chapter 3. We call that regeneration. And that is a work of God. That regenerating work. That being born again. It's a work of His Spirit. I'm truly convinced that at those crusades, many, many people were born again and came to a living faith in Jesus. Through the gospel preached, the invitation extended, and the commitment made. Likewise, many, many covenant sons and daughters have been born again by being raised in a covenant Christian home. Raised in a Christian church. For many, the privilege of attending and receiving a Christian education. Through a covenant upbringing, through a covenant upbringing, I was led to a genuine faith and to a deep and passionate love for Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. I praise God for the work of His Holy Spirit in giving me that new birth. However, God may have done that with you. I pray that you have that conviction, that confidence, that testimony tonight, that you have been born again by the work of God in whatever way in which he did that in your life. And as a result of God doing that for you, you being born again into the family of God, I trust that your heart tonight is just a heart that is overflowing with praise to God, the God of your salvation. But now let's probe that salvation a bit deeper and try to understand it as Paul speaks of it in the verses I read tonight. If you have your Bibles open, verse 28, that marvelous verse, it says, In all things God works for the good of those who love him, those who've been called according to his purpose. And the next word, verse 29, is that word for. And what follows then gives one of the greatest proofs that God is working and that God works. And that he works for the good of those who love him. Those who've been called. And those who've been called and chosen are, of course, those who will love God. And do love God. Please see that. Understand that. But then follow five 
undeniable affirmations, tremendous statements. We read, those God foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. There may seem like four there, but there's really five stages of God's working in your life, in mine. If we're Christians, we are a people foreknown. We are people predestined. We're people called. We're people justified. We're people glorified. We must understand tonight that our salvation is a God story. From the very beginning to the very end, or may I say from eternity past to eternity future. Now that may seem a bit deep to us. No doubt is some mystery involved there, but let's explore that just a little bit further and hopefully leave here tonight with that understanding and conviction of Paul in Philippians 1 verse 6 that the God who's working in me, who's done his salvation work in me, is a God who's going to bring that work he's begun to completion, to fulfillment, to perfection one day. What every one of us must know, based on Romans 8, is that when we claimed Christ, when we came to faith, when we made that decision to follow him, that really isn't the beginning, the beginning of our salvation story. Romans 8.29 says that God foreknew us. Our salvation beginning not only predates the moment of our decision or commitment or profession of faith, it predates our existence, our very existence, by a long, long time. And that means more than something intellectual on God's part that somehow he knew we would be before we actually were. God did know that you would be before you were. Psalm 139 says that very clearly, that all the days planned or ordained for us are written down in God's book before one of them even came to be. Foreknowledge means that, yes. But this word in the original is rich. It means that actually God loved us, loved us long before we existed. God set his affection on us. God vowed to have a relationship with us. Even before we were born, God wanted to share his glory with us. Even before created, even before we were saved. Let me put it this way. God had you in his mind before you were born, yes. But God had you in his heart even before you were born. Reflect on that. You know, I've heard mothers say, when a newborn child is born, put in her arms, my son, my daughter, you were in my heart before I held you in my arms. Before you even were conceived within my tummy, you were already in my heart. Hard for us to understand and yet real. So too with God. 
He foreknew us. He chose for us long, long before we ever made a choice for him. Romans 8 says that. And then it says, those that God foreknew or he chose, he predestined. It's another great word. Easily misunderstood. So often that's identified with kind of a a cruel kind of determinism on God's part. I think tonight of that, that hardcore Calvinist who stumbled and fell down the steps and he got up and there was pain and there were bruises. He looked at himself and his comment was, boy, I'm glad that's done with. It was the understanding. It was just meant to be. Every fall, every illness, every bad day, that's just God's will. That's programmed for us. I'm not going to comment on that further. But within predestination, I want us to see the word destiny. Destiny. God, before our lives started, for me that was 1946, God already loved us. More than that, God had a destiny in his love for us. He knew where he wanted that love to go, what he wanted us to become and to be. Here's where it would lead. We were, we have been predestined to be saved not only, but did you notice what I read tonight? Verse 29. We've been predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God was determined from the very outset. You have a large group group of people who would know him, who would love him, that he would share his eternal glory with, share eternity with. But more than that, God had in mind that these people would become just like his son, just like his one and only son. God has one natural son. But in that son, God now has just a myriad of adopted sons and daughters. God's destiny for you and me tonight as Christians, yes, is that one day we'll be in heaven. That's God's destiny. And one day that we're going to live on this earth renewed, God's destiny. But it's more than that. God's destiny for us is that one day we will be just like Jesus, just like Jesus. Max Lucado has written a wonderful book with that very title, Just Like Jesus. The subtitle is like this. God loves you just the way you are, but God refuses to leave you that way. God wants you to become just like his son. And what God has in mind, and God deeply desires, that will indeed be. Chosen, predestined, we move forward. Those he predestined, he called. This happens, of course, in our lifetime, that we are called to faith. God called sinners to repentance, to trust his son, to be saved. In the Bible, there's always that external call, may I say, that, that, that universal call, that general call, that open invitation to all who are sinners 
to hear the gospel, to come under the conviction of sin, to turn to Christ. Billy Graham extended that gospel message to millions of people. I have tried to do that faithfully for some 50 years in ministry now to extend and explain the gospel, to issue the invitation and call of the gospel to repentance and to faith. The external call. But then there's also that internal call. That's Christ knocking at the door of the human heart or the sinner's heart, wanting to enter that person's life and to redeem that sinner. That is God's work. That is his doing. I cannot open the door of a human heart. No preacher can. Billy Graham could not. I don't believe the sinner can even open his or her own heart to Jesus. We are like Martha and Mary. When Lazarus dies, John chapter 11. These sisters, they're sad. They want their dead brother to be alive again. But they cannot make that happen. They could stand by him and say, Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. But it wouldn't happen. It didn't happen. It's when Jesus came. And Jesus issued that call that Lazarus became alive. Jesus had that power, that supernatural power. And dear friends, that is what it takes to make a dead person come alive, physically, spiritually as well. Ephesians 2 verse 4, God, because of his great love for us, a God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in or because of our transgressions. Praise be to God. A God who called us and predestined us. And that's a God who justifies us. He calls us to faith, to trust his son, and through his son, he makes the payment, the sacrifice for all our sins. He forgives us. He accepts us as his sons and daughters in Christ. We don't have to wait until the judgment day once we die to know what God's verdict is going to be on our life, whether we've been good enough, whether we are indeed fully forgiven, whether we've passed the test, what God's word is going to be. No, we already know we have been made justified, made right with God. Romans 5 verses 1 and 2, since we've been justified, have been justified through faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice already now in the hope of the glory of God. Oh, the blessing of being one justified. And then, finally, those God justified, he glorified. As I said, those precious people, God foreknew, predestined, called, and justified, they're going to end up in glory. 
with Jesus. Yes, with Jesus. Not only with Jesus, but like Jesus. Just as perfect, just as righteous, just as holy as he is. And Paul here in Romans 8 is so confident that that is going to happen, that he speaks of it. Did you note that is already having happened, our glorification, before it actually happens? We're not yet tonight all that God wants us to be. There's flaws. There's weaknesses. There's sinning that yet goes on. In your life, in my life as well, some rough edges. But understanding what is written here in Romans 8, let's strive again in this new week because of God's amazing grace to us in his love for us, striving to become Christ-like. And let's strive with that confident joy that one day we will be and become just like Jesus, just like Jesus. Those five works of God or affirmations are important things. I trust they help you and me to understand that our salvation story is indeed a story from beginning to end. It's a story about the work of God. We don't pat ourselves on the back when we've been born again and we become saved. We do not boast. We do not exult this evangelist or this preacher or this counselor or this parent or this person, whoever that may be. No, no. We exult and we worship and we praise the one who alone could save us and has saved us. Our salvation testimony must always be a God testimony. And our songs must be God songs directed to him. And our worship, every Sunday again, must be a God-centered worship. To God be the glory, we say, again and again and again as we leave worship. Lord, to you be all glory and praise because of who you are, because of who I now am. That's one thing. Let's understand that. But there's a second thing. I want to encourage all of us to read Romans 8, 28 to 30. Read it often. And I hope we find in these verses more than sufficient reason every day again to live with a deep peace and a profound joy with a heart that overflows with praise because God is good. He is so very good in his workings to us. Amen? Amen. Join me in prayer. Oh God, we marvel at your works, all your works, but especially your salvation work and working. It's truly amazing. We are so blessed as we're going to sing how vast the benefits divine which we in Christ possess. Oh God, we humbly tonight thank you yet again for your grace. And to the one who now sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise, be honor, be glory, be power now and forevermore. 
Amen. Let's rise to sing that beautiful hymn, How Vast the Benefits Divine, which we in Christ possess.